You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 16. Back on it again. Yep, 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 yep. Another fun and exciting episode. Sweet. I don't even know what's, what this one's about, so nope. why don't you lay it on me so I can enjoy myself. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is um, the story of the disappearance of Susan Powell. Susan Powell was born October 16th, 1981 to Chuck and Judy Cox. Um, She was 28 when she went missing. And as of today, recording, it's October 17th. So she would have been 41 years old as of yesterday. Um, So yeah, Judy and Chuck had four daughters. Susan was their third daughter. She was born in New Mexico. And when she was a child, they lived in Alaska. But then they ended up moving to Washington. Susan was a typical teenager. She loved riding horses. She loved cosmetology. She loved going to church. And someone described her as loving. Uh, she like loving to make other people like feel good about themselves. That was just kind of the person that she was. She would try to be rebellious, but that just wasn't her personality. By the time Susan was 18 years old, in October of 2000, she met a man by the name of Joshua Powell, who attended the same LDS Church uh, Institute of Religion course. So let's get to know Josh a little bit more um, and into their relationship. Um, Josh was born January 20th, 1976 to Stephen and Terica Powell in Puyallup, Washington. He was one of five children with two brothers and two sisters, although Stephen and Terica's marriage fell apart when Josh was a teenager. Terica did file for divorce in 1992. Terica said that Stephen was showing his sons porn and that he would refuse to like enforce limits on certain behaviors. So they obviously had like different parenting styles and different religious beliefs. And it's just like, they couldn't make it work. So as a teenager, Josh's sister had a pet gerbil and he allegedly killed it. And in another instance, Josh threatened his own mom with a butcher knife. And he did uh, admit to uh, trying to commit suicide as a teenager. So this divorce took a huge toll on Josh. So later on in his 20s, prior to even meeting um, Susan Powell, or Susan Cox at the time, uh, Josh was in a relationship with Catherine Terry Everett, and he was attending the University of Washington. So while the two were living together in Seattle, Washington, she said that Josh was very possessive towards her. Catherine stated, quote, he would have restrictions and limitations on what I could and couldn't do when it came to my family. If I was going to visit them, he had to come too. I couldn't go by myself, end quote. Never a good sign in a relationship. Um, Catherine decided to visit a friend in Utah and he broke, actually, sorry, she broke up with Josh over the phone and she didn't return to Seattle where they were living. Like she was just terrified of this guy. So just a little inside of that relationship. Um, So yeah, a little while after that, um, after the breakup with Catherine, he's, you know, he met Susan and like I'd mentioned previously, they met in October of 2000 and uh, by December they were already engaged. So two months after meeting each other, her friends and family seemed like they really liked Josh, but some of them were not supportive of their engagement. And but she was, you know, insistent on how happy she was with Josh and she was really looking forward to marrying him. 
Josh um, and Susan did uh, end up marrying in the Portland, Oregon Temple in April of 2001. So that's only four more, four months after getting engaged. So during their wedding, Josh would like ignore Susan and he would just like disappear and she didn't know where he would go. So she came, seemed a little irritated. There's like a lot of videos of their wedding and she just doesn't seem so happy. So yeah, she was kind of pissed off during her own wedding because of that. So after their wedding, they moved in with Josh's father, Stephen, for a short while. And while living there, Stephen grew like a crazy obsession with Susan, his daughter-in-law. He would use like small mirrors to spy on her while she was using the bathroom. He would follow her around the house with the camcorder. There's so much video that you can look up. Creepy. Yeah, of him just like following her around. So yeah, he would follow her around the house with a camcorder. He would steal her underwear and videotape them while like narrating some like nasty shit. And he like, ugh, it's disgusting. <laughs> but and then he would like he made like this song about her too. And there's um also uh, audio of an audio recording that actually came from his camcorder like microphone where they were sitting in the car. And and I, think, I believe Josh was like in the house and they were just waiting for him to come back or something. And Steven just like is totally hitting on Susan and saying this nasty stuff to her. And she's like totally rejecting him and stuff like that. And I have a little clip of it. We're going to play right here. For example, when we were sitting on the couch, it just felt like you were very, um, you know, I, I mean, I was extremely aroused, and I think you were somewhat aroused, at least I thought. I don't know where you're going with this. I'm kind of meaning to talk to you about this. And I realized the last time I came over that my own father doesn't kiss me, and you, you kissed me, and I didn't like that. Yeah, that's Steven. That's Josh's dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. He just, yeah, it's disgusting. He says nasty stuff to her. And it's like, that's your fucking daughter-in-law, dude. Like, what the hell? Anyway, so um, although Josh did have a bachelor's degree in business, he worked for many different companies over the year. And he just never really had a steady job or much money. So uh, Susan pretty much made all the money for both of them. They decided to move to West Valley City, Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City, where Susan got a job with Wells Fargo Investments. Uh, the address here was 2965 West... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't have an address. <laughs> I just want to fucking... I know how much you hate me telling people the address. So. I don't hate it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just curious. I don't know the address. Okay, so... Um, they decided to make this move because they wanted to improve their economic situation. And I'm sure Susan wanted to get the fuck away from Steven. So I don't blame her. So she got pregnant with their first son, Charles, or they call him Charlie. He was born January 19th, 2005. And later they had another son, Brayden, born January 2nd, 2007. Joshua was kind of the kind of father who he just like loved to show off his kids to other people. And he seemed like a great father. But really behind closed doors, he didn't want anything to do with them. He just like wouldn't play with them. He wouldn't give them baths. Like he's just a shitty father, pretty much. Susan just pretty much took care of them all the time. It was all her. So their marriage started to fall apart as Josh refused to go to church and he still had constant contact with his father, although you know, although Susan felt uncomfortable with Stephen. It's like that's that's hard. Like I can understand being so uncomfortable around your father in law because he's saying these creepy things and stealing your underwear and videotaping all this stuff. But it's like also it's Josh's father. It's but I get why she would be like, This your father is shitty. <laughs> like 
I don't know. Just my opinion. Um, so, yeah, her friends even stated that he was extremely controlling over her, um, Josh was, to Susan, and that he would just spend all of her money that she made. Josh did file for bankruptcy in 2007, declaring uh, over $200,000 in debt. By the summer of 2008, Susan was thinking about getting a divorce. So S Susan told one of her friends that Josh was, like, really loving it first, but by this point, like, he just wasn't kissing her anymore. They had no sexual rela relationship at all. And their marriage was just not what she expected. So her friend actually advised her to go to a divorce lawyer. And this lawyer told her to make a video of everything in the house, like just in case. And that's what she did. So here's a little clip of, um, I'm just going to play like a little clip of it because it's, I think it's like a 12 minute video or something, but she's going around the house saying, you know, all of her, you know, all the assets that they have, all their TVs and all this kind of stuff. So here's a clip of that. Uh, this is me. July 29th, 2008. It is 12.33, mountain time. Um, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. Charlie, say hi. So after finding out that Susan was thinking about divorce, Josh would start threatening her, saying that she would never see the kids again if she left. And that's when she told her friend that she's going to try and make it worth work with Josh because I think she was just terrified that she was going to have her kids taken away. So on the night of December 6, 2009, their neighbor, Giovanna, Giovanna, I'm going to say Giovanna, she came over for dinner. Susan and Giovanna were knitting while Josh and the boys were making dinner, which seemed a little off to Giovanna because Susan was always the one to cook and she's like literally never seen Josh cooking. She also said that they ate in the living room, which was a bit off, and then Giovanna left around 5 p.m. They all watched a movie, um, and I'm assuming they put the kids to bed, so it was just Susan and Josh. Uh, she fell asleep, so Josh was like, you know, it's, a, it's midnight. I'm going to go take the boys camping. So they went camping at Simpson, Simpson Springs Campground. And mind you, this is fucking December, so it's in the middle of winter. They decided to go take the kids camping at midnight. Yes. Yep. In the middle of winter. So the next day, December 7th, 2009, Susan usually drops the, boy off, the boys off at daycare and heads to work at 7 a.m. But when Susan never showed up and 7 a.m. rolled around, Debbie Caldwell, a woman who worked at the daycare, became concerned that Susan had not shown up. And like I said, it's December in Utah, so it's really cold. It's, you know, starting to snow. So Debbie calls Susan, but there's no answer. She calls Josh. There's no answer. Debbie got in her car and she actually drove over to the Powell's house. And upon arrival, she noticed no track marks from anyone's car, you know, dri you know driving away from their house that was like left in the snow. So she went and she knocked on the door and there was no answer. So yeah, Debbie uh, was really concerned. So she called the emergency number that they had left at the daycare for them. And it was Josh's sister, Jennifer Graves. Debbie told Jennifer that neither Susan or Josh were answering their phones or answering the front door, so Jennifer rushed over there. Um, Jennifer actually called 911, stating that her brother and his family were inside. You know, they believed that they were inside their house, but they weren't answering, and that perhaps it was like carbon monoxide poisoning, and maybe they were just going to be all found dead in their beds because, you know, she was really confused why they weren't answering where they were. So the police arrived, and they as well got no response. So they asked Jennifer, you know, hey, <laughs> we're going to break this window you're gonna pay for it right if we break it you're paying for it and she's like fuck yeah I'll break it like i don't care so 
as the police made their way into the house, they did notice some weird things. There was two fans facing one another on the floor in the living room, like someone was trying to like dry something up on the floor. Susan's purse, along with her keys, wallet, driver's license, and credit cards were also found inside the house. There seemed to be no sign of struggle or uh, altercation in the house. So Jennifer and Josh's mom continued to call Josh to find out where he was, but there was no answer. Finally, Josh calls Jennifer the next day and she asks if they were, you know, if they were okay. And Josh replies that him and the kids are okay, but he just wasn't sure where Susan was. He just had no idea where she was. Like she fell asleep. They, you know, he took the boys camping and he came home and she was gone. That's, you just didn't know where she was. So, oh yeah. After the call with his sister, Josh drives to point of the mountain and he makes a call to Susan's phone and he leaves a voicemail. And he, this is the, the message. Uh, he said, quote, hello, Susan, we are on our way back. And um, anyway, I can't believe that somehow my brain missed a day. I thought today was Sunday. That was really, really stupid. All right, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. That's all he said. <laughs> I don't really, I don't understand why he missed. I don't understand the missing a day and all that stuff. But yeah, it's just a weird, I, it seems like he did it on purpose to make sure he was trying to find his wife. Like an alibi almost. Mm-hmm, yeah. So uh, about an hour after talking to his sister, he finally showed up to his house and he was taken in for questioning. Investigators asked him if he knew where Susan was and he stated that he left with the boys to go camping and he left her at home sleeping and just didn't know where she was. He said the last time he saw her was that night, right uh, before around midnight after they were finishing up a movie and then he left to take them camping uh, where they made a fire and s'mores and they enjoyed their night camping. They asked to search his minivan and he allowed them to do so. They ended up finding all of the camping stuff and that he was talking about, along with a pink cell phone that belonged to Susan. So family and friends did mention that Josh would do spontaneous things like that all the time. Like he would go camping in the middle of the night, um, you know, which is unusual, but that's what he did. Uh, although Susan would never allow him to take the boys camping in the middle of the night. So that was a little weird to people. Police didn't have enough uh, physical evidence to get a search warrant for the house or to arrest Josh, so they were kind of stuck. So neighbors did say that they saw Josh cleaning the entire minivan in their driveway shortly after she went missing. The second time they interviewed Josh, he seemed a little emotional in the beginning, but then his attitude seemed to change and he just didn't want to talk about his missing wife at all. He was really irritated by all the questions. While he was being questioned, they had a, a woman actually questioning Charlie, his son, the oldest son in the other room about what happened that night. Um, Brayden, their youngest, wouldn't really talk, so they couldn't get um, a lot out of him. So Charlie told, told her that his dad, his brother, and his mom went camping that night, but mom never came back. He told her, mom is where the crystals are. I have no idea what that means. I wonder what he meant by that. But later on, um, they confronted Josh about what his son had said, and he told investigators that his son was lying and that he, she wasn't with them at all. He asked for a lawyer at this point, and so friends and family started to hand out flyers. One of her friends held a candlelight vigil for Susan. Josh did show up, but he didn't say anything, and he left like shortly after. People were starting to get upset with Josh because he just didn't seem to care about his missing wife or even help with the search of his wife. Investigators found out that Susan actually had a safety deposit box at the bank that she worked at. And inside this box was a DVD, saving bo savings bonds, and a makeshift will and testament. And on this uh, will and testament um, was like every inch of this paper was written on and it stated how horrible her marriage was and that she would never leave her children and how if something happened to her, it may not be an accident. I mean, I'm going to post this, uh, this letter on, 
on my social medias. Follow me, Grissom and Natural. Um, so come to find out days after Susan went missing, Josh had actually closed their bank accounts and cashed out her entire retirement fund. He also went to live with his father, and that's when Josh did, uh, I'm sorry, Stephen started doing most of the talking for Josh. Like Josh was just in his house, and Stephen just, his father just pretty much spoke for him. He did interviews saying Susan liked to have sex with multiple men, and she probably just went off with another man. Like, she would just go off with another man and leave her fucking children. Yeah. Like, her very young children. So, Jennifer, Josh's sister, was so fed up with Josh not talking about what happened to Susan or where she was. So, she was like, fuck it. I'm going to wear a wire and I'm going to go talk to Josh. So, she went over to Stephen and Josh, you know, to their house. Stephen's house, pretty much. And Josh was there and she was, like, trying to get him to confess and he just wouldn't say anything. And then even Stephen was, like, getting pissed and he fucking kicked out his own daughter calling her a bitch. Seems like you guys really care about Susan, like that she's missing. Like, what the fuck? So, um, but yeah, so Josh was like not saying anything. So, Stephen just sounds like a great dad, right? It just shows its true colors right there. So, anyways, um, so friends and family decided, oh, I was gonna show you how, what a great person he is, too. So, friends and family decided to do a honk and wave and show Susan's missing poster, just like getting it out there that she's missing. And Stephen shows up complaining that they're doing this in front of like, a store that they frequent a lot and then chuck susan's father intervenes and i'm just gonna play a little clip of it just showing you how much he doesn't care about what they're doing why okay. come why come here today why not well i just came down here because we were going to get a picture of chuck cox we believe he's in violation of a restraining order because josh josh shops at this store and he is here, not supposed to, to that's fine i know it, i know it doesn't mention fred meyer but he knows we shop at fred meyer he knows this is our neighborhood store and that's so you why own the neighborhood? No. We're okay. gonna, we'll, we'll have to you add this. Live, you guys live a few miles, Josh they live, live a few miles apart from yeah, each other. Exactly. So, These so you knew he was going to be here, and you came here yourself knowing that there's a restraint. We order. just wanted, I wanted to, we wanted to see if he was here because we wanted to be able to have something to say at the hearing on Tuesday. We're having a hearing Tuesday. That's we were right. going to bring this up with the media. He brought it up with the media. But okay? you came here. I did come here. Yes, I did. Because I wanted to see what that was going on and I wanted and, to And I have one Chuck question for you. How okay. is you coming here helping to find Susan? It isn't helping to find Susan. How is your standing at our neighborhood market helping to find Susan, Chuck? People see the signs, her Bullshit. pictures out in the in the media. Right. It's been that all over the media. Yeah, 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 if somebody yeah, has no. seen her, they, then they can yeah. report to the and police. They're, and you're only going to do this. Which other stores are you doing this at, Chuck? We're doing it in West Valley City. Which other stores in Puyallup, other than our supermarket? This neighborhood up shop? here is where we're doing it. I've only got a small group of my family. Are you like doing it at family. the store you shop at? I shop at this store. Are you doing it at Walmart down there? No, we. This is the corner. No, here. you're not. Okay, there. This I rest my case. This is a They're bit only more doing it in here. the neighborhood so. where we live. They put this is not your right, they, they put the billboard. That the, about Susan right outside of our neighborhood, right down here. They did their little flyer campaign in our neighborhood. They taped flyers yeah, right I to the post that. in front of my house. Why would the, you have a hard time, though, with getting her picture out? I, mean, I don't have a hard a time. We've actually talked about putting a picture of, you know, a page on our website called the 50 Faces of Susan Powell. There are, we got pictures of Susan that, that you know, that... Just so, yeah, that just shows you 
how much Steven doesn't care and like Chuck's there because he wants to find his daughter. Like it seems like they know something. So he just wants to find his daughter. So finally, Josh was considered a person of interest and they searched the campground where they supposedly camped out. But there was uh, camped at but there was no sign that anyone had camped there recently. They searched Stephen's house because Josh had taken a bunch of Susan's journals with him when he moved to his father's house. And the police really wanted these journals. They wanted to find out what she had written in them. They found more than that, though. This is when they found multiple videos of girls that are underage being filmed without their knowledge, including Susan was part of that. And Stephen then was looked into a suspect into the missing uh, into susan's disappearance but he was cleared but they did finally convict him of child pornography and he had to serve five years fucker so i know i know i hate this guy so this is when uh cfs child family services of washington came in because they truly believe that susan and josh's kids uh were in harm because they were under steven's roof and i you know it makes sense so the boys were four and six at this point, and they were taken from Josh, and they were to live with Susan's parents. The boys did belong to the state technically, but his parents got, or his grandparents, I'm sorry, got temporary custody. And then Josh did get supervised visitation with them. So while living now with his grandparents, um, police took Charlie, the oldest son, in again for questioning. And uh, I just want to play a little clip. It's sad, but it's like it says a lot. Charlie, has anybody talked to you about your mom? No? I don't know where she is. She's lost somewhere. We can talk about Susan or camping. I, I, I always keep things as secrets. I didn't want to talk to you on this mom. I, I mean it. Um, this many minutes now I'm done. So to me, like hearing this clip when he says like, uh, I don't know where she is. She got lost somewhere. We can't talk about Susan or camping. I always keep things secret. It's like the way that he mentions, like before he never mentioned his mom by his, her first name saying Susan. It's like almost like he was like coached in a way to be like, oh, I can't talk about Susan. Like. But, like, that's his mom. He's always called her mom, you know? I just thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, and then now he's talking about secrets, and then he's like, I don't want to talk. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like he was a little coached on that. These supervised visitations were to take place in a secure third-party facility, but Josh had just rented his own house, and he contacted his social worker and asked if they could just move the visitations to his new house. So Josh did truly work on getting, you know, trying to get his kids back. Police did find some weird sexual kid stuff and he had to go, he had to undergo a psychosexual evaluation. And it was at this point that he wasn't going to get his kids back, but he still got the visitation. On the morning of Sunday, February 5th, 2012, Susan's father, Chuck, was off to church as Elizabeth Griffin Hall came to pick up the boys and head to Josh's house for the visitation. Elizabeth and the boys arrived at Josh's house, and this visitation was supposed to last for about four hours. Elizabeth gets out of the car, and she goes, you know, unbuckles the boys, and they see their dad. So they start running up to the front door, and Josh is waiting there for them, and they run inside. So Elizabeth is right behind them. She gets to the front door, and Josh, you know, they make eye contact, and he just slams the door shut and locks it. Elizabeth starts banging on the door, begging, you know, begging Josh to open the door, but he just wasn't answering. And she thinks she even overheard Josh saying to Charlie that he had a surprise for him. So she starts to worry. She actually started smelling gas and she calls 911. 
So here's a, a little clip of Elizabeth's 911 call. Morning. Hey, I'm on a supervised visitation for a court-ordered visit, and something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house, and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. What should I do? What's the address? But I think I need help right away. He, he's on a very short lease with DSHS, and CPS has been involved. And this is the craziest thing. He looked right at me and closed the door. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting to know where you are. Okay. It's 8119 189th Street, Court East, 2 Alec, 98375. And I'd like to pull out of the driveway because I smell gasoline and he won't let me in. You want to pull out of the driveway because you smell gasoline, but he won't let I you... Smoke. He, he won't let me in. He won't let you out of the driveway? He won't let me in the house. Whose house is it? He's got kids in the house and he won't let me in. It's a supervised visit. I understand. <laughs> Whose house is it? Josh Powell. Okay, so you don't live there, right? No, I don't... No, I'm okay. contracted to the state to provide supervised visitation. I see. Okay. And, and who is there to exercise their visitation? I am. Uh, and the visit is who? with Josh Powell. And who's supervising? And he is the husband of I supervise. So you supervise and you're doing the visit? Yeah, you're I supervise yourself? <laughs> I supervise myself. I'm the supervisor here. Wait a minute. If it's a supervised visit, you can't supervise yourself. If you're the I visitor. I do supervise myself. I'm the supervisor for the supervised visit. Okay. Well, aren't you the one make, aren't you the one making the visit? Or is there another parent I'm the one, that you're supervising? No. There's, I'm the one that supervises. I pick up the kids as their grandparents. Yes. And then who visits with the children? Josh Powell. Okay, so you're supposed to be there to supervise Josh Powell's visit with the children. Yes, that's correct. And how did... And he's the husband of missing Susan Powell... How did he, how, this is a high-profile case. How did he? How did he gain access to the children before you got he there? They, they, I was one step in back of them. Okay, so they he went into the, the house and then he head. locked you out. Yes, he, okay. he shut the door right in my face. All right, now it's clear. Your last name? My name is Elizabeth Griffin Hall. Hello. Hi, ma'am. Were you calling about the fire in the 8200 block? Of yes, he exploded at the house. Ma'am, yes, do you know the exploded the house. Okay, do you know the exact address of the house, or are yes, you supposed to? It's eight. It's eight one one nine one eighty ninth Street, Court East. Okay. Two hours. Okay. Stand line. Do you know if anyone's in the house? Yes, there was a man and okay. two children. I just dropped off the children, and he wouldn't let me in the door. Okay. Stand line for the fire department. Okay, I'm going to get them on the line. Do not hang up. Hold on. Stay on the phone here with me now. There's County Fire Medical Aid. Hi, Fire. This is Rose that Lisa transferring the lady who has an exact address of the house that is on fire there in the 188 Street Court East neighborhood. Yes. Okay, I would have gave them that exact address. I dropped it, it. Sorry. Just a minute. I can hear the fire trucks, but they're not here yet. It's 8119. What? We have an engine there. 
people are saying there's not somebody here, but I was just there, and there is somebody here. There's two little boys in the house, and there's they're five and seven, and there's an adult man. He has supervised visitation, and he blew up the house and the kids. The kids and the husband and the father were in the house? Yeah, yes. He slammed the door in my face. So I kept knocking. I thought it was a mistake. I kept knocking, and then I called 911. You saw him go back into the house from the flame, right before the flame? He didn't ever leave the house. He just opened the door. The kids were... Kids were one step ahead of me. They're five and seven. They were one step ahead of me, and he slammed the door in my face. And you think he might have done this intentionally? Yes. Okay. Johnny, go ahead with what you need to pass that on to my Thank team. you very much, Fireman. What is your name, please? I'm Elizabeth Griffin Hall, and I'm the supervised visitor. Okay, hold on. Elizabeth, hold on just a moment, ma'am. Okay, so your last name is Griffin what? Griffin Hall, G-R-I-F-F-I-N hyphen Hall, H-A-L-L. And your phone number is 360-990-9955 is your personal cell number, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Where are you at right now? I'm at 81112 on the same court. Okay, so you're waiting down the street at 8112, 189th Street Court East. Yes. Okay. And are you in your car? I was in my car. I'm standing outside it right now. Okay. Is that your home? Is that your home address? No, that's not my home okay. address. I was the supervised visitation coordinator. I kept the children up. What is that person's name? His name is Josh Powell. Just a minute, the sheriff's here. Let okay. me tell him the go ahead and talk in the house. Go ahead and talk to the officer, ma'am. So yeah, it's frightening. It's a little, that phone call is a little irritating, but uh, it's it's frightening. So uh, yeah, so then uh, that fucking house blows up because he really didn't. You know, she smelled gas and it it blew up and and she just didn't know what to do. So she she was frantic. She was trying to get to the neighbors to help them, but you know, there's just not much they could do. So uh, after the fire was put out, they did find the the three bodies of Josh, Charlie, and Brayden. The worst part is that during the autopsy, they found out that both of the boys were hit on the heads with an axe. And that's not even how they died. They died from smoke inhalation and gas in their lungs. I mean, they were still alive, like, after they got hit in the back of the head. What a piece of shit. I know. It's like, take yourself out. Why do you have to fucking take the kids? Like, it's infuriating. So police believe that it, that he'd been planning this for a while, actually. Um, yeah, I even wrote, like, how can somebody kill people in general but like fucking children like i don't understand it's a fucking monster i just i don't understand like these boys looked up to him they loved him and he was just a piece of shit and he should have just taken himself out so unfortunately that is where the story ends uh josh and the boys are gone and so is susan and she's still not been found to this day they have no idea where she is so um my opinion on this is josh absolutely did something to her and I I feel like we're never gonna get an answer unless they find her body or something. I think I don't think she's alive anymore. It's just my opinion. After I did all this research, though, I found this and I just want to read it really quick. It said it says uh quote on May twenty first two thousand and thirteen, West Valley City Police closed their active investigation into Susan's disappearance, stating that they believe Joshua murdered her and his brother Michael, who also committed suicide in February of two thousand thirteen, after suspicion grew around him, had assisted him in concealing her body. Since then, 
there have been repeated attempts to have Susan legally declared dead. So that's oh. pretty interesting about his brother. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was crazy. I didn't, I never well, heard. Yeah. It just kind of shows like his guilt too. He was in on it. Mm-hmm. Josh killed himself. Yep. You know, they both committed suicide in a way. Josh mm-hmm. did it in the fucking most horrible way, taking out these two little innocent kids. In a way, I'm wondering if he did that because he was afraid as they got older that they're going to start talking. Yeah, exactly. They totally. Mm-hmm. Totally did that because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie, I'm sure, knows something or, you know, he's all something. He's going to start talking or something. But, yeah, it's really sad. Really sad story. Well, thanks. Way to start my week. Welcome. <laughs> um so yeah thank you guys for listening always as always please subscribe rate review follow me on social media gruesome and natural twitter i think i'm gruesome and you you know facebook all that fun stuff and tell me what you think until next time thanks be safe and stay away.